Oh man, I was, as I was praying, I had this image too. Um, so I saw this a few weeks ago. Uh, I've got a, uh, a friend who, um, I, I call him a friend, an acquaintance, uh, somebody I met when I was in Israel. And uh, he, he lives in Jerusalem. And he had posted a picture, or a video rather, uh, on his Facebook page uh, about a week and a half ago or so uh, when the war broke out. And it was a picture of Israeli soldiers preparing to go into battle. And, and they were all gathered together. And, and what they were doing is they were worshiping God. They were, they were dancing and shouting. Actually, they put you to shame a little bit. I'm not, not kidding. Like They didn't even have an accompaniment with a band with the crashing cymbals with Nate, but they were praising the Lord as they were getting ready to go into battle turning their eyes to Jesus. By the way, Psalm 83, read Psalm 83 this week. Great Psalm, uh, I think speaks to the current things going on in the world. And really focus on the end, like the last three or four verses and what God wants to do there. He wants eyes to be turned to him and who he is. And, and I pray for that. I pray for that for the soldiers in Israel. I pray for that for the, for the people who live in Gaza, that eyes would be turned to the God uh, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Good stuff. Woo! All right. So, all right. Here's a question for you. Raise your hand if you have ever been, ready? Exhausted. <laughs> Some of you are like, man, I would, I, I would totally raise my hand right now, but I'm just like, I'm too exhausted, <laughs> right? Chris, your level of energy this morning is making me exhausted. All right. So whether it's, you know, whether it's physical exhaustion, mental exhaustion, emotional exhaustion, or sometimes it feels like it's all the above, right? The truth is we are all susceptible to these periods where we feel, we just feel totally depleted, right? We just feel exhausted. At times where the highs and the lows of life and, and honestly, even ministry, even good things that we're investing our time in have a way of, of bringing us to the point where we feel like we just, we have nothing left to give. Have you ever been there? Anybody? Well, this morning, as we continue our study in Luke's gospel, we have, I believe, the incredible privilege of looking into a period of Jesus's life where he was experiencing both the extreme highs and the extreme lows of life and ministry. Both of them, he was experiencing both of them at the exact same time. And what we're going to see in this passage is that Jesus, in that moment, continued to love and to serve those around him, even at a time when I believe many of us, myself included, would have been tempted to just run away and hide. Like, I, I just can't do it anymore. In this story we're looking at today, the, the, the feeding of the 5,000, uh, in a very tangible way, Jesus is going to remind his disciples that, that he is the source of their strength. If you walk out of here with something today, let it be that, that the disciples learn in this story that Jesus is the source of their strength and that the, the power and the authority that they have to serve, it comes from him. Also in this passage, we're going to see how, how important it is to regularly spend time with the Lord, connecting with God, being refreshed, and being refueled for service. Now, 
if you've been in church for really any length of time, if you've been here probably for like a year, I mean, you are probably familiar with the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. It is one of the, the best known miracles in the life of Jesus. I, I remember it as a child seeing it on the flannel graphs in the Sunday school room, right? Flannel graphs are going to make a comeback. That's why we still have them stored here. <laughs> so they're, they're coming back. And I mentioned this last week. I mentioned it last week, but this miracle is unique in that it is the only miracle other than the resurrection of Jesus that is recorded in all four gospel accounts. Uh, you can write this down if you want to read it later. Matthew chapter 14, Mark chapter 6, here in Luke chapter 9, and in John chapter 6. And, and th the nice part about having four different unique views of this, of this story is that each, each writer brings unique details which help us to better understand the whole story and this, this whole extraordinary event. And so this morning, we're going we're gonna to follow Luke's you know, writing about this account, but, but we're going to be pulling from, from all three of the other writers as well. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 9, uh, and we're going to begin in verse 10. Luke chapter 9, verse 10 says, On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. Luke, Luke says that on their return, the apostles told him all that, that they had done. Now, if you were not here last week, then you might be wondering, where are they returning from? Where are they returning from? See, last week in verses 1 through 6, we read uh, the story about Jesus sending his disciples out on their own for the very first time. Jesus sends his disciples out and he empowers them uh, to, to heal the sick, to, to uh, preach the gospel, and, and to cast out demons. Jesus not only sends them out, but he gives them the power and the authority that they need in order to go out and accomplish this, this mission. And in verse 6, we read that they, that, that they departed and they went out through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Mark tells us that, that Jesus sent them out two by two. And we talked about how Jesus was spreading uh, his disciples out so they could reach more places than just traveling alone with him. And it uh, says here that they went out and they proclaimed that people, this is in Mark's account, that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and they anointed with oil many who were sick and, and they healed them. This is what they did. And so the 12 disciples, the, the apostles, they have been out on their own. They've been away from Jesus, preaching the gospel, healing the sick, casting out demons. Do you think they're excited? Would you be? Right? And now here in verse 10, Luke tells us that on their return, the apostles told Jesus all that they had done. Can, can you just imagine the stories that they had to tell and their excitement to share these stories with Jesus. I can picture them. 
I can, I can, I can picture them sitting down with Jesus, rattling off story after story. Hey, remember, remember the guy from the village when, when he said such and such, and then Peter stood up and he said this, and, and then he, he repented and he gave his life to Christ. Like, you remember that? Like, yeah, that was amazing. But don't forget about the woman who was, she was like filled with demons and then boom, right? These are, I mean, seriously, this is exciting, exciting stuff. And I believe that Jesus was joyfully listening to them as they told him all that they had done. Can you picture Jesus sitting there like, that's awesome. Good, good. You're going to do that again. It's going to keep happening. We got, this is just the beginning, guys. It's going to be great, right? So, so this is all happening, right? But, but at the same time, at the same time that Jesus is, is there celebrating the joys and, and the high points of ministry with his disciples, Jesus is actually walking through the depths of grief and sorrow. You see, what Luke doesn't write here in Luke 9, Matthew does in Matthew 14. In Matthew 14, verses 12 and 13, we read that after... After Herod Antipas, we've talked about him a few times, Herod the Tetrarch, right? After he executed John the Baptist, Matthew 14, verse 12 says, his disciples, these are the disciples of John the Baptist, they came and they took the body and buried it. And they went and told Jesus. Verse 13, now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. You ever heard about the death of a loved one? You understand what Jesus is feeling, right? You hear this news and he just wants to withdraw to a desolate place by himself. And what, what we see is when we read the gospel account side by side, by the way, by the way I've, I've done this a million times, plug, if you don't already have one, Harmony of the Gospels, Get one for your library. It puts all the Gospels side by side so you can read the accounts from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John side by side. But anyway, when you read these accounts side by side, what you see is that the same time that Jesus' disciples are returning from their journey, Jesus has just received news that his cousin, John the Baptist, his friend, his forerunner, the one who was sent to announce the arrival of the Messiah, is now dead. Can you even begin to imagine the pain and the grief that Jesus must have been feeling in that moment? Not only, not only had Jesus lost someone that, that he loved, but think about it. John's death was a very real reminder to Jesus of the suffering that awaited him. Think about that. This is just the warm-up, right? What, what John has gone through, Jesus is like, man, it's real. It's, it's happening. And so it's no surprise to read in Matthew that, that when Jesus heard this, when he heard about John's death, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. At the same time that he's grieving, though, his disciples show up. And they're all excited and they have stories to tell Jesus about all the great things that they've been out there doing. And, and listen, listen, Jesus listens. He sits there and he listens to their stories. And again, I believe with a smile on his face, cheering them on. 
At the same time that Jesus is grieving the loss of his friend, he's also trying to be there for his disciples. What incredible love that Jesus has for others. In the midst of his own pain, he still remained focused on loving and serving those around him. That would be hard for me to do. How about you? When the disciples finished their telling their stories, Jesus, Luke simply says that Jesus took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. In Mark's gospel, he says that Jesus said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Come and rest a while. After a time of, of exciting, but, but probably physically, mentally, and emotionally draining ministry, Jesus says, let's take some time to rest. After a time of deep emotional grief for Jesus over the loss of John, Jesus says, let's take some time to get away and rest. Can you feel what Jesus is feeling in this moment? Brothers and sisters, there, there is a time, there's a time to rest. It's important. In the midst of the, the, the highs and the lows of, of life and ministry, Jesus invites his disciples to, to come away and rest with him. A few weeks ago, a few weeks ago, my wife and I were blessed to take a, what we, we called a weekend spiritual retreat. It was about three, three weeks ago now, I think. And it was a time that we set aside for intentional rest. I think it's important that focus on the intentional. It wasn't just, we're going to stop doing all the things we normally do. It was a time that was devoted to something. We, we, we went away. We stayed at a little cabin. And, and we, we set apart times. We, only, we brought our Bibles. We brought, my wife brought her guitar. We brought pad of paper, pen. I brought another book that I had been wanting to read. And, and we took time to be apart from each other where we would just spend hours sitting and reading, praying, talking with the Lord, listening to the Lord, speaking to our hearts, refueling, refreshing our souls. And then we would come together and we would, we would talk about what God was speaking to our hearts in those times when we were apart. And then we would pray with each other. It was a, it was a wonderful, life-giving, soul-refreshing 48 hours. Some of you are like, man, I wish I could do that. You can. You can. Make it a priority. Maybe it won't be 48 hours. Maybe it'll be eight hours for you. Maybe it'll be two hours for you. But, but make it a priority that says, I am going to get away and spend time intentionally resting and getting alone with the Lord. Jesus invites his 12 disciples to get away and to rest for a while. But, okay, here's the thing. As wonderful and as needed as rest is, okay, hold on. Sometimes rest has to wait. Sometimes rest has to wait. In verse 11, we read that when the crowds learned it, they followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. 
Jesus and his disciples, they, they get in a boat, right? Jesus says, let's get away and rest. You need rest. I need rest. Let's get away to rest. And let, let's head over to Bethsaida. Now, the exact location of Bethsaida is, is not 100% concrete. Archaeologists, they're excavating in a few different areas around this northern edge of the lake to try to figure out you know, where it is. But we, we do know that it was along the northern edge or the northern shores of the Sea of Galilee, somewhere near where the Jordan uh, empties into, into the, the Sea of Galilee, into the lake. But uh, Mark tells us that when Jesus and the disciples get in the boat to leave, the crowds saw where they were headed. <laughs> can, you just, I mean, can you just picture this right in your mind? Mark tells us that they actually, that they ran there on foot from all the towns and they got there ahead. Of them. Can you just pick, like picture, the, you know, we've been talking about it. Hundreds, thousands of people are following these guys around. And now that the disciples have been out doing all their ministry, they've got crowds following them too. And so the crowds, Jesus says, let's get out of here. Let's go. They get in the boat, they're heading, and the crowd says, I heard they're going to Bethsaida. And they all take off running. Okay, and, and they're like, we can get there. It's like eight miles by foot. We can beat them. <laughs> and so they take off running. Can you imagine just like this crowd running along the shores of the lake heading towards Bethsaida? And then people in the villages along the way are like, see the crowds coming. They're like, where are you guys going? Jesus and the disciples are heading to Bethsaida. You should come too. And the crowd just swells. And they're going. And Jesus and the disciples are in the boat. This is their moment for some time away, right? They're in the boat, and they're making their way over. Now, put yourself, though, put yourself in the shoes, no, sandals, right, of, of Jesus and his disciples. Imagine how you might have felt as you, were, as you were bringing the boat to shore, and there's already a crowd there waiting for you. Mark says in verse 30, the crowds... Mark says that the crowds that had been following the disciples and Jesus were so steady that they had no leisure even to eat. They, they had a hard time finding, when can we get some lunch? Because these crowds are non-stop. So they get in the boat, they're heading to the other side, and when they arrive, ha, a crowd. Yay. All they want is rest. Is this, is this, is this too much to ask? Seems like a fair request. Jesus even said we need it. But as they come ashore, the crowds are there waiting. But, but notice how Jesus responds. Luke tells us that Jesus welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Mark tells us that, listen, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Oh, man, don't you just love the compassionate heart of Jesus? So on, on the one hand, we can see the importance, right? We see the importance of, of, of taking time to get alone, taking time to get away with Jesus to rest. Jesus himself is seeking rest after, after hearing about the death of John. And Jesus is inviting his disciples to, to take time to rest. We need it. We need rest. It's important. But, but again, here's the thing. As much as we should value rest, we need to know that there are times when our rest has to wait. Your rest isn't more important than the needs that God is calling you to meet. That's just the way it is. You're like, I don't like that. Well, too bad. 
right? I bet the disciples didn't like it either. But I'll tell you one thing, one thing that I've noticed in my own life. At times when I feel like I got nothing left to give and it's all about me and I just need someone to minister to me for a while, and God says, no, I want you to go and serve this person. You would not believe how many times God used serving others to minister to that need that you think you have. He does it over and over and over again. Listen, there are times when we feel like we can't go on, times where you feel like, like if the phone rings one more time, one more time, I'm going to rip it out of the wall. You can't do that anymore. <laughs> I'm going to lose my mind. I'm going to lose my mind. But what we see in this passage is that even in times when maybe we feel like we have nothing left, God may still have work for you to do. Look at how Jesus responds. At a time when most of us would have been when seeking pity for ourselves, Jesus was feeling compassion for the people. And, and, and you're like, oh, yeah, but he's Jesus. Yeah, he's your role model. He's your role model. You, to be a Christian is to be Christ-like. And you know, hey, we, we fail at it, right? But that's the standard, isn't it? Rather than sending the crowds away, Jesus welcomed them and he ministered to them. In verse 12, we read that, now, now the day began to wear away. And the 12 came and they said to him, send the crowd away to go into surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and, and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we're to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. Whew, it has been another long, long day in the life and ministry of Jesus and his disciples. And as the sun is starting to go down, the disciples turn to Jesus and they strongly suggest that he call it a day. Jesus, why don't you send the crowd away? It's getting late, right? We don't have any food, and, and we're, out here in this, we're out here in this desolate place. Let, let's just call it a day, and these people, they, they can go and they can get their stomachs filled. Wouldn't that be great? That's a good idea. Let's do that. And by the way, you know that at least a few of the disciples were thinking, and then maybe we can get some of that rest you were talking about, right? Let's get rid of the crowd. And Jesus says, nah, I don't think so. He could have. He could have, right? He could have said, yeah, you guys head back to your homes. You can walk back to where you came from, Capernaum. Head, head home. It's getting late. He says, no, I don't think so. Why don't, why don't you give them something to eat? In John's gospel, we're told that Jesus, Jesus actually turns to Philip, and he says, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? See, according to John chapter 1, Philip, one of Jesus' disciples, was actually from this area of Bethsaida. This is, we're back in his home turf. And so Jesus says, hey, Philip, you're from this area, this Fayette area. <laughs> there, there's no Walmart, right? He's like, you're from around here, Philip. Where, where could we buy uh, food for this crowd? In verse six in, in John, it says, he said this to test him. He's testing Philip because he, he, he himself knew what he would do. Jesus knows what, what he's going to do here, but he's testing Philip. He's testing his disciples. See, 
what, what the disciples see right now as, as an, is, is an impossible situation, right? They're up against this impossible situation. But what Jesus sees is an opportunity. He sees an opportunity to serve the people, to show his compassion, to meet a real tangible physical need. But he also sees an opportunity to help the disciples grow in their faith. Their, their training is not done. They didn't they didn't, they're not, they're not graduated yet. Yes, they went out, they had a great time ministering, but they're not, they haven't learned it all yet, have they? This miracle was an important step in their discipleship journey. And so Jesus says, Philip, where can we buy food for these people? And in verse seven, Philip said, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little, right? As, as we've mentioned before, a denarii, or denarii is, is um, it's one day's wage for a common laborer. So Philip says, Jesus, listen, if I spent 200 days wages, if I spent 200 days wages, it would not be enough to feed a crowd this size. They'd still walk away hungry. In other words, Jesus, this is an impossible situation. Let's just send them away. Send them away. Now, I need you to keep in mind, where, where have the disciples just returned from? What have they just, I mean, they've been out for weeks, maybe months, ministering, and they've been seeing the, the power of God working in and through their lives. Come on, demons are being cast out. Sick people are being healed. They've seen this. Not only have they seen what Jesus has been doing to them, but these are the same guys. They saw Jesus calm the storm on the, on the lake right? They've they've even seen Jesus raise dead people back to life at this point, right? But suddenly, suddenly, these guys are now up against what they see as an impossible situation. Oh, sure, you can raise dead people to life, Jesus, but feed them? This is impossible. This is impossible. There's no way that we could possibly feed all all these people. It is odd that not one of them said, we can't do it, but you can. Apparently, they hadn't read their Bibles recently, right? I mean, they forgot about the way that God had provided manna from heaven for a long time. He fed a lot more than 5,000, right? The disciples said, Jesus, we don't have enough money. We don't have enough bread. We don't have what it takes. In Mark's gospel, we read that Jesus said this, Jesus said in Mark chapter 6, 38, he said, what do you have? What do you have? He said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. John tells us that that it was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But here's the question. But what are they for so many? Luke tells us that that there were about 5,000 men, right? 5,000 men. But that doesn't even include women and children. This crowd was was probably somewhere in the neighborhood of of 10 to 20,000 people, maybe, maybe even more. And so the disciples said, we don't have enough. And Jesus says, tell me what you have. Tell me what you've got. Brothers and sisters, there is, if there is one thing that we learn from this story, it is this, that when we bring 
what we have to Jesus, he is able to multiply its impact in ways that we cannot even imagine. My friend Dustin shared a quote this week that I thought it was great. Um, I don't even know who first said it. Um, I tried looking. I couldn't find the original author. But the quote was this. God can do way more with your surrender than you can do with your control. God can do way more with your surrender than you can do with your control. Instead of focusing on all the things that we don't have, all the things that we can't do, let's focus on surrendering what we do have to the one who can do anything. Amen? The disciples said, all we have is five loaves and two fish. And in Matthew 14, 18, Jesus said, bring them here to me. Bring them. And as we continue reading in verse 14, Jesus said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so. And they had them all sit down. And, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. Jesus tells his disciples to organize this very large crowd into groups of 50 and have them sit down. What he's doing here is he's, he's organizing the people in such a way that it's going to be easier and more efficient for his disciples to then serve the people. So organization's a good thing, right? It's good. And then after he gets them organized, it says he, he lifted his gaze to heaven and he blessed the food, thanking God the Father for, for his provision. It, isn't that a great picture in your mind? Don't you love that picture of Jesus raising his face to heaven and thanking God? for the food. And in our culture, how, how do we typically pray? We typically bow our heads when we pray. You better close your eyes too, because that is a rule. No, it's not, right? But you know, when you're the one that bows your heads and your eyes are open, and then somebody else's eyes are open, they see you, you both feel embarrassed, <laughs> busted, right? It's okay. It's okay. Next time someone does that, just smile, right? We're both rebels. All right? And we, I get why we do it, right? It's a sign of humility, right? It's a sign of humility and honor to God that we bow our heads as we, as we communicate with him. But, but I love this picture of raising our head. We were singing the song earlier, uh, Lord, I need you. And I found myself at that moment looking up saying, Lord, I need you. Not, Lord, I need you. Either one is fine, but I think there's one thing we can learn. Let's let the posture of our bodies reflect the attitude of our hearts. Lord, I need you. You know, like, how about surrender? Like, oh man, God, I need you so bad. I need you. I need you. I don't care what it looks like. Just make sure that it's reflecting what's happening in here. Don't worry about what the person next to you thinks. It doesn't matter. God looks at your heart. Psalm 121 says, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? Your posture matters, and it impacts your heart, doesn't it? It does, both. What a great picture of Jesus praying to his Father. And, and as he's finishing up praying, Jesus began breaking the bread and the fish, filling 
baskets for the disciples to carry to the people that were sitting on the ground waiting to be fed. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the look on the faces of people, especially those who are up close enough to see what's going on? People in the back, they're like, I don't know what's going on. There's something happening up front. We were all sitting down waiting. We can't see what's going on. The people up front, they're seeing it. Jesus is taking bread and he's breaking it and putting it in baskets to be passed out. And he keeps breaking and breaking and breaking and breaking and baskets are filled and baskets are filled and baskets are filled. They're like, I thought we started with five, right? And he just keeps going and going. At some point, they're like, we are all watching a miracle take place right now. This is incredible what we're witnessing. With a crowd this size, 10, 15, 20,000, how long do you think it takes to carry out baskets full to groups of 50? How long does it take? This is hours probably, right? It takes hours to feed a crowd like that. As the disciples, think about this, as the disciples, they're, they're going back and forth, back and forth. Peter, James, John, Andrew, they're running, going out with a basket and saying, here's your food. And then they run back and they get another basket and they go back out. And they're going like this, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, carrying the Lord's provision to the people. And don't miss this, brothers and sisters, the disciples were learning an incredibly important lesson that day. As they continually came back to Jesus to receive his provision for the people, they were being reminded in a very, very tangible way that the power and the authority to serve does not come from themselves. The power and the authority to serve comes from Jesus. Where are they going to get the, the, what they need to serve these people? From Jesus. The disciples are not the source. They are merely conduits of his blessing to others. Brothers and sisters, it's the same for you and me. You and I are not the source. We are merely conduits of his blessing to others. Which means that we too must continually be coming to Jesus in order to, 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 to receive what we need to be able to serve those around us. We need to spend time with him. We need to grow in our relationship with him. We, we, we need to be refreshed and we need to be refueled for service because Jesus is the source of our strength as well. In verse 17, we're told that they all ate, they were satisfied, and what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. Jesus, Jesus took what they had, five loaves and a couple fish, and he multiplied it to meet the needs of thousands of people who were gathered there that day. And it wasn't just a little bit like Philip was afraid of, right? They ate until they were satisfied. They were full. Picture Thanksgiving, all right? Thanksgiving's over and you're like, I couldn't eat another bite unless you bring out the pie, of course. <laughs> Then all of a sudden you magically have more room, right? But, but they, they're full. They're full. And, and how much was left? 12 baskets of broken pieces. Matthew says that there were 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. See, Jesus not only provided for all the people, right? 
But when they were done, each disciple walked away with a basket full of the Lord's provision. Wow. Wow, what a lesson. What an amazing reminder as they, as they walked in obedience to Jesus that he is going to provide for them. We talked about that last week. He's reminding them of that again. What an incredible reminder of what the Lord can do when we bring him what we have and we surrender our lives to him. I wonder how many lives that and I don't know this and I don't what what do you have whatever you have I don't care if it's a crumb give it to Jesus and see what he can do with it like well I don't have a seminary degree good luck I don't either I don't either did you know that I don't Jesus doesn't need that he needs your surrender nothing wrong with it if God's calling you to pursue it go get it go get it but but give him what you have and see what he can do. Man. Well, that concludes this story, the feeding of the 5,000. It's an extraordinary miracle, right? But before we close, I, I want to take a moment just to consider. I want to consider the fact that Jesus, at a, at a time when he was facing both the highs and lows of life and ministry, and at a time when he was celebrating with his disciples and, and grieving over the death of his friend, at a time when he was just trying to get alone, to get some rest with disciples, Jesus did what a lot of us would struggle to do. He continued to serve. You see, for Jesus, his needs were always second to the needs of others. That is very, that's not a cultural thing to say, right? But really nothing about Jesus' ministry really goes along with the current political, social climate, right? Jesus was not self-serving. It isn't all about you. It isn't all about me. It's all about him, and it's all about what he wants to do through us ministering to others. In fact, it was Jesus who said, I, don't, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. He was so focused on his mission that even on a day full of emotional highs and lows, a day that would have caused most of us to break, he continued to serve. So here's the question. How was he able to keep on serving? And don't say, well, because he's God. Yes, he is God. He's God in the flesh, but read Philippians 2, right? The, the idea that Jesus was also fully man and he had to walk in surrender to God. He experienced everything that we do as humans. So how did he do it? Well, I believe the answer is found in Matthew's telling of this story. After Jesus fed the crowds in Matthew 14, 22, we read this. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. He said, good job, boys. You guys go ahead. Get away from some of that quiet time right now. I'll take care of the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. How was Jesus able to keep on serving? Because he regularly spent time fellowshipping with his father. 
He regularly spent time getting refreshed and refueled for service. Listen, if you've read the Gospels, you know that Jesus regularly took time to get alone and pray. You know that. Luke 5, we read that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. How was he able to keep serving? He stayed connected to his father. And because he stayed connected to his father, he knew his father's will. Yeah, somebody would like, like, I don't know what God's will is for my life. Are you staying connected to him? Honestly, what's your, what's your time with the Lord look like? Answer that question. Don't just hear it. It's not a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer it right now, but answer the question, what does my time with the Lord look like? Some of you are like, I'm so frustrated, I'm not growing. Are you reading your Bible? Are you spending time in prayer? Are you really worshiping? Do you ever just sit in, in his presence and sing a song that you heard in church? Sing it off key? Just worship him? We need to be spending time with him. You want to grow? You do, right? You want to grow. Spend time with the Lord. Jesus had to do it. Don't you think we do? I mean, if Jesus, the Son of God, had to regularly carve out time to get alone with the Lord, don't you think we need to? Yes, of course we do. Oh, man, he got alone with the Lord. And the text doesn't tell us what he prayed. You know, was he praying for all the people he just ministered to? I don't know. Was he praying for strength? Was, was he praying uh, and thanking God for the success of the, of the ministry that his disciples had just gone out on? Or maybe, maybe he was just sitting there quietly in the presence of his father, letting his soul be healed from the pain of losing John the Baptist. We don't know the details of this time that Jesus spent on the mountain, but we do know that Jesus spent time on the mountain in, in prayer. How much more do we need that time? We do. We need to go to the mountain. We need to regularly spend time with the Lord. We need to connect with God so that we can be refreshed and refueled to serve the way that he's called us to serve. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the privilege that we have to serve. It's a privilege and it's an obligation. We are, we are, your, we are your children. We, are, we talked about this last week, God. We are your ambassadors. You've given us a mission. And God, I pray that we would take that mission seriously. I pray, God, that, that, that each and every person in this room who, 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 who calls themselves your child, who, who has a relationship with you through your son, Jesus, that, that you would give them a burning hunger to spend more time with you. And we know that there are going to be times when all we want to do is get alone with you. And you're going to say, it's going to have to wait because I've got this or I've got that for, for you. And God, we just, I, I just pray that, that, that I and we in those moments would be like your son, Jesus. That we would tap into the strength that comes from you to serve those around us. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you for the incredible love that you show for others, the love that you've shown for us. And God, if there's anybody here this morning who doesn't already know you, wow, God, I do pray that today would be a day that they would, they would say and realize that they need you. We've sung it this morning. God, we need you. 
I pray that they would cry out to you today to receive your love and your forgiveness for their sins, that they would enter into a relationship with you. that you would fill them with joy to live their lives for you. In Jesus' name.